welcome back to Truly Twinning. We're excited about this week's episode. Um, Kat and I just spent some quality or QT time together um, in Denver for the holiday. So feeling very uh, refreshed after the July 4th holiday and um, some R&R. So we wanted to get back to business and talk a little bit about some of the best business advice that we've received throughout our career. So through our other corporate jobs and then more recently, and just talk a little bit um, in greater detail about that. And hopefully some of you will um, resonate. Sounds good. Yeah. So I think the first topic that we want to kind of have some dialogue around is what is some of the best business advice you've been given, Sam, maybe starting with your first job in PR or, you know, throughout the different roles you've had within GCI, what really resonated with you? I think um, something that always stuck with me very early on from some of the senior leaders who stayed the same for majority of the time I was at um, GCI Health was just, you know, having that passion and really like finding what lights your fire when it comes to work. Um, Because, you know, especially working in public relations or communications, we're obviously faced with issues or crises or, you know, even clients or maybe topics that we aren't passionate about. And everyone has to do the work, do the best you can and move on. But I feel like, you know, the projects that I always did the best with or really felt um, the best about were the ones where I felt like I had a connection or a passion or something. So anything um, oncology or cancer related has always been a passion of mine, as well as anything that's really about, you know, patient advocacy. And so I really enjoyed the projects that provided that. Um, And, you know, sort of learning to overcome maybe when you're challenged by a client or a topic that, you know, doesn't come as first, you know, didn't come as first nature to me was still, you know, you still learn from that. But I think finding, you know, your passion or something in every situation you're put in really helps you get over those, those challenging moments for sure. Yeah. Thank you. I agree with that. Yeah, what, what about you? I think for me, because we're so different is my struggles in my career are typically never around the task at hand or what I'm responsible to do. It's navigating the internal relationships and the people around me. I tend to be such a people pleaser where I want to make everyone really happy and I want to exceed everyone's expectations. So I used to be the yes queen. Like Mm -hmm. if you asked me to do anything, I would do it. I would do it a week before it was due and I would always go the extra mile. And it did me really well working for Marriott. But now that I'm, you know, a little bit older and no more, I think I will never forget someone told me, I don't even remember who it was. It couldn't even been a quote I was reading on Instagram, but asking your asking you know their audience would you rather be loved or respected in the workplace and that really resonates with me because at the end of the day no one you work with needs to love you but they need to respect you and that's my biggest takeaway 
in my career, in life, even right now in my career, exactly. when, I'm, when I'm really stressed about something I'm working on or a client or something is really getting under my skin. I just always remember myself like this person doesn't have to love me, but they have to respect me and I have to get my job done. And that is hands down the best piece of advice I've ever been given because you know, I can get a little ahead of myself and I hope that helps other people too. Yeah, no, I agree. I think I've I've had other, I had a manager of mine who managed me. um, She was my manager like the past four years before I left. She would always say, um, because I would have, you know, feedback come up in my reviews from people who reported into me that, you know, maybe I was hard on them or blunt. Me? Never. 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 Uh (laughs) And some of that is who I am. And while there have been moments where I probably could have taken a step back, toned it down for that person in that moment. And I a hundred percent take ownership for that. There's also, you know, she would say, listen, this is part of being a manager. They're not going to be your friend anymore. And they don't, not everyone has to like you, but to your point, like you were just like saying, they need to respect you. And so sometimes you're going to have to go and tell someone who you like that they fucked up. So it's, you know, and that was hard to overcome because I really liked the people I manage and I liked having that mentorship and being able to have them come to me and have an open door. But there were obviously times where they screwed up or something wasn't right. And you can't not, you can't sugarcoat it for them just because you like them. hundred percent. And you saying that leads me to another topic that I think you'll agree with me as well is early on in my career, I had a manager spell this out for me that a lot of people don't take the time to do. And it's so simple, but so true is when you're starting out in a job, your employer, your director outlines what they need from you, right? So you know what you need to do, what your job is, what you need to do every day to accomplish your job and to ultimately keep your boss and your superior happy. But in return, their job as your director is to provide you a lifeline, right? If you need help or support, or you don't understand something, or you have questions, or you need training or guidance, that's what they're there for. So it has to be a two-way street. And sometimes when you're just starting out, when you don't understand something, we tend to not ask for help or ask to be, you know, can you explain that to me one more time? You remain quiet and maybe are a little timid. Trying to figure it out. Wrong, where it's as easy as, no, there are two people here with two jobs. And that was really good advice because now when I'm in obviously a more leadership role, I always want to make sure that my role is completely identified to the other person because if something isn't understood, you need to ask me. And if you need to ask me more than once, then just do it because you can't do your job if you don't understand what I need from you. Right. Exactly. And I think that's where that open line of communication. And even though you may not always be loved, you know, you need to have a good enough relationship with the people who are reporting into you or who, or who you are responsible for, where they will come to you, even if there's been a moment of tension. And I think, there are a lot of challenges that come with that, especially 
during and now following the COVID-19 pandemic because there was already a culture shift in our country for remote work. And a lot of people were fleeing the coast and fleeing cities. And then that became a much bigger priority um, during COVID. And now, you know, some large companies are giving people notice that, you know, September 1st, October 1st, you're due back in the office. And there are people who no longer live in Manhattan or San Francisco or LA or wherever these offices, maybe Chicago, wherever. So it's sort of, you know, I think you also have to overcome those challenges of how do I keep these relationships open while I'm remote? And a lot of companies are going to allow remote work because there are a lot of benefits and, you know, work-life balance and, you know, people are happier, but there's a lot of, um, negatives to it as well. I think, um, I experienced negatives of it, you know, being sort of confined to your house for long periods of time, because I was, you know, had a very busy desk job and to, you know, I would take a break in the middle of the day to eat lunch, walk the dog, what have you, but you know, you're still very, it was more or less isolating at times because I wasn't with people day to day anymore. And I think that's becoming more and more common. Um, and probably contributes to some of the mental health issues that we're seeing. But I think, you know, having that open door policy and being able to have open line of communication with people is key. And it, it can go beyond work. Like sometimes I'm very, if I'm working, I'm in work mode and that's that. And then when I'm not in work mode, I'm not in work mode anymore. So it was hard for me, you know, on a, you know, Wednesday to check in and see how people's weeks have been going or remember. Well, I'm the same that. way. I don't need small talk, but a lot of people need small talk. So right. understanding, you know, the other person on the receiving end, you have to adapt your exactly. communication to theirs. And I've even learned with people that I work with in real estate, I will call someone on Monday morning at 9 a.m. and be like, boom, 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 boom. This is what we have to do. Ba, ba, ba. And they're like, how was your weekend? And I'm like, oh my God, am I like a psychopath? Uh, yes. But I'm like, it's Monday and I'm ready to go. And my Sundays are like thinking about what do I need to do to start my week? And so I'm just like hitting the pavement where someone else wants to build that rapport. And I'm very warm and fuzzy. I really am, right, Sam? Like I'm more warm and fuzzy than you, but... I still am very aggressive, I guess. I'm always like, we got to get to business. Like, let's go. And that helps me to take a step back and be like, no, no, no. Like, Catherine, you can talk to someone for a couple minutes and ask them how their weekend was. Like, duh. And I think that's, you know, I had another manager at one point tell me when I thought someone who reported into me was struggling to like pull them into an office, sit them down and be like, how are you? Is everything okay? Like you don't seem like yourself and then just shut up Yeah. see what the person says. Because sometimes you can assume, oh, this person, you know, is struggling. Their work's not good. Let me just tell, you know, let me send them edits. Let me have them fix it, whatever. But maybe there's something bigger to it, something more going on that, you know, is contributing. And then you can help them, you know, if they need a few days off or what have you, you can help them through that, which will ultimately, you know, affect their work. So paying attention to sort of people's moods, even though we're not supposed to have work be personal, I think to a certain degree, it's always pay attention and be tapped in. A hundred percent. Thank you, Samantha. Love you. <laughs>
no matter what, if I'm not loved at work, at least I know you love me. (laughs) You're not even going to say, yes, Catherine, I love you. Yes, Catherine. Thanks. Okay. So shifting gears a little bit, because I think this is a really fun topic because I worked at Marriott and at working at such a big company, this was such a phrase always used about, you know, people drinking the Mm Kool-Aid and is drinking the Kool-Aid in corporate America a good thing or a bad thing? I think it can go both ways because I think there are people, and I was one of them, who joins a company and is very motivated and sort of climbs the corporate ladder. I, you know, was right out of college. I was getting promoted every year into more senior, but still junior roles. And then once I was in a manager role, then, you know, there's slower, um, progress up that ladder. But I, until I moved to Denver, I really never saw myself leaving that world, whether maybe I would have left that company, but I wouldn't have left that world of like, eventually wanting to like run an office or run a market or what have you for an agency. So I was probably drinking the Kool-Aid, even though there were moments where I was like ready to pull my hair out. But, um, I think in that case, if the person is motivated, they're happy, they feel like they're doing things that fulfill them. It's great to drink corporate Kool-Aid. Like what's the issue? The problem is if there are people who are in jobs that they don't feel fulfill them and they aren't happy and they just, I think maybe complain or, or feel stuck or don't know what to do about it. And they don't, and you know, the thing to do about it is to try to either maybe make a change to a different company or figure out how you can stay within the company you're in, but maybe have a different role or something that is more fulfilling. But in the end, I think, and as I've gotten older and I talk to more friends who have stayed at companies or worked at, you know, multiple different companies is like a corporation's agendas and a corporation's agenda. So sometimes they're going to make changes. They're going to do rebrands. They're going to do different things, but like your role is your role. And sometimes you're not going to be able to make a bigger change or have a greater impact than whatever your, you know, division group or role is. And I think a lot of that is determined by leadership and who you report to, but in the end, that person has someone they report to, and they're not going to be able to like move waves because you want to do X, Y, Z even if they back you. And I think that's, can be frustrating to a lot of people. Yeah. So here's my thoughts on drinking the Kool-Aid because obviously I'm going to share my opinion. (laughs) I feel like to your point, drinking the Kool-Aid can always be a good thing because it means that you're immersed in that company's culture. You're making it clear that you love it. You want to grow and succeed and be accepted within that within that company which how could that possibly be a bad thing it it usually is a very positive thing that'll help you grow and when I was working my way up the ladder at Marriott I'm sure I was perceived as someone who was drinking the Kool-Aid because I was doing everything I thought I needed to do to grow my career and I needed to I needed to network and, you know, build rapport internally so that people knew and trusted me. Because as you grow your career and you have more responsibility, the people around you have to trust you and they have to know you're going to get the job done. But on the other end of drinking the Kool-Aid, I feel like Kool-Aid drinkers can also be perceived as completely inauthentic. 
and in some respect, a little phony. So as you grow and you become a leader and you have people reporting into you, you don't want your team, right? The people that literally report into you to be whispering behind your back, like, oh my God, our boss drinks the Kool-Aid. Like, this is so annoying. All she or he wants to do is just like get ahead because then your team almost doesn't take you seriously. They don't trust you because they think all you want is to keep getting ahead and you're not approachable. And working, you know, in corporate America, right? Everyone has different experiences, but working for big companies, you can see the difference between when associates or employees are mm-hmm. complying versus when they have a real commitment to what they're doing. And yeah. the leaders that had a team of people that were fully committed were the leaders that were not Kool-Aid drinkers. They, they did what they had to do to get their job done and they fought like hell to support their teams. And the leaders who you know, go to bat for their teams are typically not the Kool-Aid drinkers. They're the people that don't care about breaking rules or shaking right. things up because they wanna do what's best for their team. And the leaders with compliant teams, when I say compliant, I mean people that just like say yes, or Mm -hmm. that's the kind of meeting where someone asks, a leader asks for feedback and no one on the team gives feedback because like they don't really have to. So they just sit there and they're like, do, do, do. Yeah, everything's great. When's this meeting over? Versus committed employees will be like raising their hand and speaking out loud and giving real feedback. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I remember the CEO the entire time I was at GCI Health was Wendy Lund, and she would at every staff meeting or her quarterly meetings, whenever she presented, she would ask for feedback. And there was, I wouldn't say like an overwhelming amount of feedback. And sometimes she would say, come on guys, like I know someone out there. And there was always a couple of people who said something. And I always had a lot of respect for that because she really was an open book and she made her presence known. And it made yeah. a difference in terms of people being able to say, I feel this way, or let's try this, or could we do this for our company culture or something? And um, it was nice to at least have that level of like participation from any level of person who worked for the company being able to speak directly to her in that kind of forum. Yeah. So I think, Sam, to wrap the Kool-Aid section up, I feel mm-hmm. like drink the Kool-Aid all day long. You just have to keep it real. Yeah, stay true to yourself. Yeah, don't get drunk. Don't get drunk on the Kool-Aid and you're fine. <laughs> Fair? Wise words of Catherine Friedman, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be my, my new slogan. It could Don't be. Get drunk off the Kool-Aid and you'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, Samantha, can you tell me a challenge that you had to overcome professionally, whether it was back in PR when you were leaving, when you were in, re- when you started in real estate, talk to me about an obstacle and how you had to overcome it. Yeah, I think um, when I was still working at the PR agency, I faced a few challenges, but I think one that sticks out and it happened a few different times where having a challenging client who maybe doesn't have the same work style as you, or you're stepping into a new team with a client who had worked with people at our agency before and has you know, X, Y, Z expectations of you, even though they don't know you because of how someone else 
worked with them um, and sort of how you manage that. And I, you know, I talked to my manager and other people I respect when these sort of challenges would come up. And I think every time what ended up working for me was just staying true to myself, like obviously do a good job, do what you need to do, go above and beyond for what the client needs, but also like stay within your own boundaries. I've worked with clients who like to text and like, I personally don't want to text with clients because then nothing, you know, nothing's in emails to go back to later easily. Other people aren't looped in and you spend a lot of extra time looping everyone in. But in addition, it just, you know, it creates a boundary. Like if I'm, you know, eating dinner with my husband or out with friends, I don't want to be receiving, you know, necessarily text messages from my client if I'm, you know, more or less done for the day. So I think things like that, we're just trying to like create those boundaries and understand that like this person and I may not have the same work style, but we can still work well together. Um, and not let yourself get sort of wrapped up in, well, this person expects this because someone else used to do it and blah, blah, blah. Like you can still be your own person and do a great job doing it sort of within your um, boundaries, I guess. And then another thing that came up a lot at the PR agency, because I was managing so many people was just adjusting to those people's, you know, communication styles or how they work best. I had people who needed me to sit down with them and walk them through a whole project before they started it. So that was easier to do in person. And then when I started working remotely, we would use, you know, a screen share. Yeah. Um, But then I had people who I could email them details of a project link to background and they could deliver a product without speaking to me first. And then I would just go through and provide, you know, additional comments and edits. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of upfront work. So being able to adjust to the person who, you're working with. And, you know, sometimes there are two people who are the exact same level or years experience, but they approach something differently and being able to adapt to their needs was challenging because I was working on multiple different clients and multiple different projects at a time. So being able to adjust to each client's needs and then also the people who were doing the work, um, was a big task, but I was able to overcome by just like trying to like slow down a little and just try to remember what each person's, um, like what their strengths are and how to help them like capitalize on that. Yeah. I hear you. You, you need, you love structure. And so when there isn't a consistent plan per person, I know throws you off. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I'm right. Yeah which is hard. So I, I get that. Um, so for mine, I feel like I've had a lot of obstacles in my career, but I'll talk about one early on and then obstacles recently. So when I was working for Marriott, my first management role ever was at the Courtyard Boston downtown. And I was so excited to land this job. I had been an admin previously and in like a very much a supporting kind of role. And I landed my first management job, but the hotel was under complete renovation and the renovation was extremely delayed. This renovation was delayed like by a year at least. So I was there selling meeting space, right? I wanted everyone to host their event or their wedding at the hotel. But meanwhile, the hotel was like a construction site, like complete construction site. 
And I couldn't believe I still had these goals to me. And I was like, how can I even do a site tour, especially with like brides, right? Like hard hat site tours. And I think that was when I learned the power of networking and having relationships internally within your company, because I was so new. I was so green. I didn't really know what I was doing, but what I did know was, okay, there's a lot of people here that know more than me. And right. if they have clients, right. Cause Marriott had all these account reps or account managers that were bringing their clients to all of the different hotels in Boston. Right. So I was like, if I become friends with these account people and if they like me, they'll bring their clients to me and then I can make my goals. <laughs> and so, wow. oh, there we go. And nice I, <laughs> yeah. And regardless of like the renovations and the, I ended up, you know, having fun with the hard hat tour somehow, but you know, that networking was how I really overcame it was I gave them confidence that I know this is a difficult situation, but we'll make it work and we won't overcommit ourselves. And this is what we can do. And this is what I'll do when your clients come in for a visit of the hotel. And I ultimately was able to achieve my goals that year. And that was a really good lesson that I've kept with me throughout my whole career is becoming friendly with the people around you that are in your company or in the business that you're in is so important because you never know when those people are going to be there right. to have your back to help you to be involved with your next promotion. Mm-hmm. So that, that was a huge lesson for me. And that was one of the hardest jobs I've ever had. When I yeah. think about a job that taught me the most, that job for sure taught me the most. Yeah. And right. you know, dealing with bridezillas is also like, mm-hmm. and overcoming that's a challenge within itself. Exactly. And then I would say challenges most recently, which Sam is very familiar with, is managing stress. So now that Sam and I are both in real estate and, you know, we launched our travel company Habitats by Cat at the end of last year, coming in to 2021, you know, I really struggle with turning it off. So when the business day is done and, you know, it's getting to be like six, seven, eight o'clock, but I have real estate clients that are just finishing up their day. And now they want to talk about their personal situations, which is like moving. So like renting, buying or selling, then my phone's getting blown up between eight o'clock and sometimes midnight, depending if someone's a night owl. And I was really struggling with like setting boundaries and turning off my phone and having it wait till the following day, I made myself completely available. And that was an obstacle that I, in a way, created myself. And now that I'm coming out of that time, I now know to set a boundary. And if I'm getting text messages at a ridiculous time of the night, it can wait until tomorrow because I'm not a 24 I also, I also Yeah. I also think you can tell clients, like if you have someone who's a night owl, tell them like, Hey, listen, like I'll be available until this time tonight. Otherwise we'll need to connect tomorrow. And just like, 
yeah. you know, being up front and setting that expectation. I've had moments where I was doing showings on a Saturday and we were going to like a Rockies game or we had dinner plans with friends. And so I told the clients if they were interested in the place we saw, I can get a contract going, but in order to get it off tonight, we have to do it by X time or I'll finish it in the morning. And yeah. sometimes it's like, you know, my mentor in real estate always reminds me like, listen, no one else is doing contracts like nine o'clock later at night. Right. So like, if you send it at 7am tomorrow morning, it makes like zero difference. in I most know. cases. It's so, so, it's so it's there's so no way, like the market's been so hot here that I want to go, 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 but it's okay to, you know, have that night. Uh, have that no have that no have that time to yourself at night and finish it in the morning and have your clients understand that if they have plans you don't need to be chasing them down to sign a contract at that you know late at night either yeah no and this also brings us back to the original point of do you want to be loved or do you want to be respected and right. at the end of the day, I do my clients a really good service as a realtor. And would they love me if I wanted to hop on a call at 11 o'clock at night? Yes. But then I don't set a boundary for myself and I'm not prepared for the following day to be re-energized to do it all over again. And so right. I, I, all I'm focusing on is to be respected and setting boundaries is very important. So I'm glad I'm overcoming yeah. that now. Yeah. I mean, I think the stress management was something I frankly struggled with more in my previous job because I always wanted to meet people's expectations or what they thought of me. And because I worked at that company for so long, the expectation was that Sam will never say no. She'll yeah. always deliver early and she'll always deliver something great. And so I, as my responsibilities grew and I worked more hours, it became harder to continue to meet that same expectation that I had created. Yeah. Um, and so I definitely had trouble turning it off. I wasn't always work like I wasn't always working late, but I was thinking about it stewing. And so yeah. it was creating a, a burnout sort of, um, cycle yeah. that was hard to get out of. But now that I've left that industry and that environment and I'm setting different sort of, um, goals for myself and now that I work for myself like generally now like you and I don't report to anyone like I guess we report to each other for accountability but like yeah no one's there to tell me like oh you didn't do this like what right. that so um that like stress isn't there for me anymore because before it was to create it was to meet a goal or an expectation that I had or that I thought people you know needed from me but now I just need to like do what I'm telling myself to do every day, 100%. which is way easier Yeah, at least for me. It has been. Yeah. No, I hear you. So that actually is the perfect segue to wrap this up. So what do you love about your career today? I think what I love about it today is that there is a lot of freedom and I feel like I'm a lot now I'm able to use skills that I, you know, I feel like I developed in a previous career and put them to work in this new one. Yeah. And I'm able to focus on the things I really enjoy and the things I like. Obviously there are things I don't like about it or things that I, you know, could do without, but in the end, 
um, the good outweighs the, the hard or the bad. And I feel like the freedom to, you know, today, for instance, I woke up with a terrible migraine. So I laid on the couch for a couple hours this morning and put a little compress on my face and filled with me. And I just chilled. And Phil, my husband, giving me shit, like, working today, Sam? Like, yeah, I'll work when this headache's gone. Whereas before, if I had a migraine, I had to persevere. Yeah. Unless it was so terrible, I would tell, like, I was never the person who worked when I was sick. Like, if I was sick, I gave myself the day. Yeah. But there were times where, like, you, you had to make a client call and, like, no one else could present for you. And so you had to just fucking do it. Yeah. So when things like that come up, or if a friend wants to get lunch, I can. Like, I have a girlfriend who's a physical therapist who doesn't work on Tuesdays. So sometimes on Tuesdays, we walk the dogs in the middle of the day around the lake or just do something. Right. And it's just nice to break up the week and yeah. not have everything be so business, business, business all the time. Yeah. Um, and when I do go through a really busy period, it's honestly like much easier to find the time to relax. Cause you're like ready for it. Like if you, if I have a full day of showings and open houses and everything that Saturday night, like Netflix and chill and like a glass of wine, like couldn't be more rewarded. Like it's, yeah. Yeah. Know, and it's, most of the time it's on your schedule still. So one of the things that I love about both of our careers today, and maybe you'll agree is we can go to the grocery store when no one's at the grocery store. I did that today too. Oh, I Mm -hmm. love that. Like going to the grocery store on a Monday morning, like you'll never catch me there on Sunday night. That's when everyone's there. The lines are crazy. Like, yeah. So to your point, having a flexible schedule in the sense that you know, I manage my schedule and I'm creating myself the structure that a company gives their employees. So that flexibility is huge. But I think what I love the most about what I do now versus what I was doing before is being my own boss, but using my creativity to build my own business and my own brand. I I enjoy building things from the ground up. And when you're working for someone else, you're executing on what their vision is or what their goal is. But now that I'm solely working for myself, it's just so nice to use my creativity that I really enjoy doing that part of the sales process and building Mm -hmm. client relationships, you know, applying that and you know, growing something that's like my vision and my goal and doing that with you is hands down my favorite part of my career today. That's cute, Kat. Thanks, Sam. You're cute. I think that wraps it up for this podcast. It was a pleasure, Sam. I hope we can do this soon. Once again. Such a pleasure. We'll see you guys in a couple weeks, hope all this um, information was helpful and drop us a comment if you have any of your own experiences to share. Yes, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.